Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, which we're supposed to be seeking, striving, persevering, in search of. And we do that right after we repent, or begin the process of repentance, so that we may show the fruits of repentance. What is repentance? A changing of the mind. People think in a particular way, and it draws them in a particular way. As you think, there shall, so shall you go. And going towards the kingdom is about direction. What direction are you going into? I just heard people talking about the 4th of July and that ministers should have uh, incorporate certain elements of the culture of our society, the founding of this particular country of the United States, uh, uh, which was actually not really on the 4th of July. There was a Declaration of Independence that was attributed to the 4th of July. But uh, a nation is a people. And people are born from generation to generation. And what each generation does determines the nation of that. But the uh, the things like constitutions and stuff like that had nothing to do with the 4th of July. It didn't exist then. They simply talked about independence because of unwarranted usurpations by the government of Great Britain. And they were usurpations. They were seizing a use. They were seizing a right that the people in America at least a portion of them, at least a third of the landed immigrants to America who had bought land. You know, we always hear about the stories of the people buying land in New York for so many beads and all these kinds of things. Well, what they do, you do is you buy someone else's claim to the land. And, of course, the Indians had claimed the land. They had territories. Uh, they did not have... A lot of meets and bounds for each individual family, but they had tribal territories and they fought over it and they killed each other over it and they uh, uh, murdered each other over it and uh, uh, they eventually formed uh, like the five nations uh, or seven nations. Eventually it was called as more nations joined in to create some sort of unity between the Indian tribes so that they weren't constantly killing each other, devouring one another, actually even cannibalizing at sometimes one another, stealing the women and children from one tribe to enslave them in another tribe. All this was going on with the Indians, including Manifest Destiny, which we've talked about in other shows, because in the at least in the translated interpretation by Indians of uh, their great uh, unification documents. Uh, they believed in manifest destiny. That if others did not submit to this unification uh, constitution that they had uh, created or someone had created many years before, um, you had the right to overwhelm that tribe and even suppress that tribe. 
and take everything that it has and even annihilate it. And that's pretty much manifest destiny. So they had judged that was okay. And so, so I guess as you judge, so shall you be judged. And that's what happened. People have a tendency to want to think that, well, the Indians had it right. They were, you know, in commune with nature and they were, you know, all this peaceful, you know, uh, 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 spiritual people, etc. And of course, there were Indians who were. That way, good, great men, uh, uh, powerful spiritually, uh, knowing, uh, peaceful, benevolent men who were Indians. And there were a bunch of others that were equal to Europeans in selfishness and uh, brutality and uh, 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 monstrous uh, evil. Uh, just like any nation, uh, you have a variety of people in them. So you don't divide people up by labels, but you you see people as they are, w- with their virtue and their vices. And this is an individual thing. It's not uh, so much a collective thing. I mean, like today we talk about Muslims. Uh, and radical Muslims as opposed to regular Muslims. Well, most people are Muslims because their parents are Muslims and and uh, their parents are Muslims because the Muslim religion and the people controlling it often in many countries have gone about murdering everybody who didn't become a Muslim or per- at least persecuting them. Uh, it's part of their doctrines. And there were times when uh, Christianity, or what was labeling itself as Christianity, was doing the same thing, you know, with the Crusades and and uh, Inquisitions. And this is the nature of people to want to exercise authority over other people and make them comply with what they think is right. And, of course, that is actually diametrically opposed to what Christ said. Christ said, you are not to be like the other nations, the other governments of those nations, who exercise authority one over the other. But you are to exercise love and compassion and forgiveness and free will contributions to provide for the needy of your society, the widows, the orphans, the needy of your society, and pure religion, unspotted by those worlds that use force to take care of one another. To, you know, can you have a court system that does not operate on the basis of force? Well, that would be impossible, right? No, it's not actually. It's, it's not impossible at all. Because you have the choice of doing everything by force or doing everything by cooperation. You know, when when you, if you had a court system where your local community that is also your local welfare system, where they're taking care of one another in pure religion, they're practicing pure religion, so that they, if there's a widow or an orphan or a needy amongst them, somebody, you know, uh, we were just talking about another situation at Capgras. Capgras is this bizarre situation where a portion of your mental highway is damaged 
often by methamphetamine drugs, either prescribed or street value drugs. Um, it's damaged and you suddenly believe that your loved ones are fakes. They're not the real loved ones. They've been either possessed by demons or they have, you know, they're actually CIA implants or they're witches and demons or, um, you know, in, in K Ultra, whatever it is, MK Ultra, uh, mind control spies put in. And, and people think this about their wife, about their husband, about their father, their mother. This has happened time and time again now. And we just had another case where somebody was a little over-medicated with methamphetamine-type drugs. Um, you know, there's different compounds. And uh, they woke up not wrecking. Of course, now the hospital just say, oh, well, they're hallucinating. No, you damaged their brain <laughs> with your drugs. And uh, and now they they're not only ill... But they're under great stress, and uh, and you've done all this terrible stuff, and you just pass it off. Well, this happens, you know. But anyway, well, it it's happened again. But there's actually been cases where people just like run a fever, and they have this happen to them, this damage to this inner part of their dula alongata, and and. Uh, the signal that's supposed to go to the brain that tells you that not only do you recognize the facial features of this person, but it makes this complete connection which uh, secretes a little bit of uh, valuable hormones into the mind and makes you feel that this is who it looks like. And when that doesn't happen, that secretion doesn't take place, your brain says something's wrong. Looks like them, but it's not them. And so your brain reaches into its paranoid box of answers and comes up with, this must be, you know, somebody else. You know, imposters. And you actually have to put guards on your family members so they don't try to escape this prison hospital, uh, somehow they've been taking capture and this is everything is fake. And uh, that's real. It happens. It can happen with people who take drugs on the street. It can happen to people who take drugs in hospitals. Because the mind is a fragile thing. Well, you know, I was just reading in Ephesians where it talks about being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Because the doctrines can uh, suddenly take over your thinking. And this is what happened with Eve. Eve was given the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Both trees are in the garden. They're still in the garden. They're in your garden. You have the tree of knowledge. You can study and figure things out for yourself. Or you can admit you cannot figure things out for yourself. Take your hand out of the tree of knowledge. Set down the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And decide for yourself. In conjunction with the tree of life. Because you're deciding for yourself. in the fact that you're accepting the answer of the tree of life. As to what is 
your course of action, what you should be doing. Because you don't know. You know you can't figure it out by the tree of knowledge. So you look to this other place, this spiritual place, where there we call the tree of life. This Holy Spirit who's going to be your comforter, your guide, and show you the way. I was just talking to somebody yesterday, told them stories about, you know, my own life, how I found my wife. I gave up dating. I gave up looking. I, I said, I cannot figure out who is who. You know, girls put on a face. They put on uh, a look. They put on a personality. And, and they do this because they're taught to do this. And so you don't know who's who, and you don't know who's who going to be, you know, in five years, ten years, twenty years. So how do you know who to marry? I couldn't figure it out. I admitted I couldn't figure it out. I said, you have to show me. He showed me. Took me right there. And and I knew. And I knew, you know, without it even ever even seeing. <laughs> a big long story, but I mean, I'll tell you at the campfire. Anyway, been lost in the woods, been navigating at night in the dark out at sea and had to travel through shoals. And you listen to a spiritual inner compass. Just the other day, just yesterday, I was helping wire up. A a guy was moving his dryer back to where it used to be and I was wiring in the plug socket for him and uh, helping him with it anyway. And... uh, He's there talking to me, and I wired something wrong. I put one wire where I should have put the other wire. It wasn't going to cause the end of the world, but it wasn't going to work right. And it actually could have caused a short, but anyway. point was, is I had it all buttoned up. He was going down the hallway to turn it on. I thought we were all done. And all of a sudden, I get this message flashing on this the white wire it's not right something's telling me that and i thought back and played back what i'd done and then i called out to him i said don't turn that on <laughs> don't turn that on there's something wrong and i opened it up and sure enough i had put the wire in the wrong place and uh it was because of the distractions and he was you know there were all kinds of stuff going on in the room and people walking through and some reason I did it wrong, but something told me I did it wrong and made me aware of that. And I admitted I was wrong. And I told them right away. I knew I had to do this. I, something compelled me and awakened me to this. And I changed. And I said something wrong. You know, what? what's it like to realize you're wrong? You know, I mean, it, it, let's put the question a little bit different. What's it like to be wrong? Okay, do you know? Do do you know what the answer to that is? Uh, I'll let you ponder that. What's it feel like to be wrong? You know, I just the other day I was also uh, reminded of uh, a particular Latin phrase, "cogito ergo sum." Cogito has to do with you know. Cognition, you know, your brain, what do you think? Ergo, I assume. What, what, what am I saying? I think, therefore I am. Ergo, assume. I think, cognito. Uh, ergo, assume. Now, I, I used to think 
that Thomas Aquinas said that, but it was actually uh, uh, René uh, Descartes who said that. And uh, when I discovered that he said that, I thought, well, I was pretty sure Thomas Aquinas had said that. Uh, but Descartes, he he was like uh, fifteen, uh, sixteen hundreds, early sixteen hundreds, born I think in you know fifteen ninety six or something. But Thomas Aquinas, he was born in twelve twenty five, so he was you know he lived much earlier. So maybe Descartes heard it from Thomas, but Thomas didn't hear it from Descartes. So I was wrong uh, in my my impression and my memory of that. Um, but I do know that Augustine said long before, he said, I, I err, therefore I am. He, he didn't say, I think, therefore I am. He said, I err, therefore I am. So he'd come to the same similar conclusion, but it was Augustine. But uh, so what what does it feel like to be wrong? Do you know the answer to that question? What, what, you know, uh, what does being wrong feel like? The truth is, being wrong feels like being right. Did you know that? Because most people that are wrong, they think they're right. They feel right. When you're wrong, but discover you are wrong, that is the beginning of being right. You have to discover that you're wrong. That you don't know that you did what you thought you knew. It just ain't so. And that feels bad. So it's not being wrong that feels bad. <laughs> it's, it is beginning to become right that feels bad. <laughs> At least it feels humiliating anyway. And so, it's not being wrong that feels bad, because most people that are wrong actually feel very good about it. They're absolutely sure they're right. And they have that mentality that they're right. And if you come up and try to show them that they're wrong, they will feel attacked. You're trying to make me feel bad. Not <laughs> not because you're trying to uh, point out they're wrong, but you're trying to point out where they could be right. Because the first part of becoming right is be, being willing to admit that you're wrong. Because most people that are wrong won't admit it. They will defend to the death <laughs> their right to be wrong. Uh, this, of course, is why the truth hurts. Denying the truth can feel very good, certainly very self-righteously good, but it's not. It's not being good. It's the reverse of being good. But anyway, so feeling wrong doesn't hurt at all. Uh, it's discovering that you're wrong and beginning to see what's right. Because you have to see what's right to compare with what's wrong so that you know that you're wrong. You have to realize this is not the answer. And that is the beginning of finding out what the answer is. So when we talk to you about the kingdom of God and you think you know maybe about the kingdom of God, you need to be uh, 
have a different mentality. The not uh, defending what you already know, you know, and plunging ahead, damn the torpedoes and full speed ahead, right or wrong uh, attitude, uh, which somebody uh, recently said was uh, motivated reasoning. Well. Motivated reasoning, there's nothing wrong with motivated reasoning. The question is, what's motivating you? <laughs> is it the desire to appear right? A pecking order, I'm right and you're wrong? Or is your desire, are you motivated by the desire to know the truth? The whole truth. And then you, we have little phrases, instead of, you know, right or wrong, we have this, let the chips fall where they may. I want to know the whole truth and provide for it. So you have these two different mindsets that you can have. But the difference isn't in motivated reasoning, because both have motivated reasoning, but one is motivated by the desire to know the truth and what is right, and the other one is motivated by the desire to appear to be what's right. It's a selfish motive. So that intent defines not only where you're at, but where you're going. And this is why repentance is so important. You need to understand that where you have gone is wrong so that you can turn around and head the right way. So, you know, recently we've reviewed uh, on the ministry group uh, some documents that were presented to us and we were looking at those documents. And... uh, questioning the logic of them. Uh, They, of course, you know, it's someone who supposedly had read the Free Church Report. It does look like they gleaned some stuff from that. Uh, But they're going off in another plan, another view. They're taking another approach uh, to uh, church government. You know, because the church is defined as one form of government. So, what form of government is it? And, of course, Christ came preaching the kingdom of God at hand. And the kingdom of God is a government. But it's just not like the governments of the Gentiles. And he goes on to explain this. They're not like that. We're not to be like that. And what what is it that they the, the, the governments of the world do that we're not to be like? They're not to exercise authority. They're not to force the contributions of the people. But they are to operate by the perfect law of liberty through faith, hope, and charity. That we're not, we're to keep the commandment. We're not to covet our neighbor's goods through the agency of government. We're to become benefactors who don't exercise authority. And that's what Jesus Christ appointed the church to do. Because that's preaching Christ. Because Christ came to serve. He didn't come to take He did come to take the kingdom away from those who said they had it and give it to those who said, who didn't have it. Didn't say they didn't have it, but they didn't have it. But would bear fruit. And what what kind of fruit? Fruit worthy of repentance. The fruit of righteousness. Because they're not only repenting, but they're seeking righteousness. Most churches today are not doing that. Most churches are not preaching true repentance. They don't even know what they need to repent of. But we'll talk about that when we come back to the keys of the kingdom.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, we're looking at this uh, uh, approach to church government. And we actually have about nine hours on this subject before, but I hadn't read so much of it in detail. I was just looking at it. And it, this is another one of these painful documents that somebody creates. Now, we already show how the early church operated, which actually is what early Israel was doing. What was binding early Israel together as a society? Their altars. And what were their altars? Piles of stone that you burned up sheep on? Have you ever sat and watched somebody burn up a sheep? Especially if they put it on the altar hole. You better stand back. That's the first thing. Important safety tip. Uh, it, it does not create a sweet savor to, to burn up this sheep. And, of course, you're living in fairyland if you think that all that stuff in the Old Testament is about piling up stones and setting sheep on fire. It's not. One of the most popular groups in Israel, far more popular than the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, which we ascribe the name Essene to. They actually went by numerous names. There's over 60 different uh, uh, identities to what they call the Essenes. And if you actually look at some of the doctrine that has come down through the Essenes, it fits right into the Gospel. Uh, there's good reason to believe that the person carrying the water vase that was approached and said that my master needs you know, room for the Passover and he provided this upper room was an Essene. Essene houses were all over the place in all the communities. People would go to the Essenes. They used oils, anointing oils, uh, for medical reasons. Uh, they were extremely knowledgeable. Uh, they didn't have the oppressive approach to women that you see in a lot of the other cultures of that area in time. And of this, of that area in this time. Um, uh, they uh, they they were absolutely adamant uh, about telling the truth, not taking oaths, which Jesus was against the taking of oaths. So you, you see these and some of the same phrases that we see uh, Christ come up with are identical phrases that we find in their literature. And these people are called the Essenes by us today, but they believed. That this whole animal sacrifice that was going on in the temple where they piled up stones and set animals on fire was a fiction and a fraud. They would have no part of it. They had the Passover feast, but they didn't have animal sacrifice where you burn up animals. They actually understood that those uh, explanations in the old Torah which they used and read and understood Hebrew, was a system of self-government that operated by the perfect law of liberty and bound the people together by faith, hope, and charity through charitable altars where you gave a portion of what you had to ministers who redistributed it in pure religion to take care of the true needy of society in a way that strengthened them. Nimrod had an idea that, well, everybody sign up, everybody pays into my ministers, 
according to what we say is right through our courts. And then we redistribute the wealth and take care of the needy of society. And a lot of people join Nimrod in that endeavor. A lot of people joined Cain in the similar thing. A lot of people joined Herod in the similar way. Because Herod had this scheme of social welfare. But such welfare, as David said, and as Paul quotes in the New Testament, such welfare is a snare. Because the greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. That is why you are snared. That is why you are in bondage. That is why you are entangled again in the elements of the world. It's not because the Illuminati. It's not because the Jews or the Zionists or the Rothschilds or or MK Ultra or uh Lizard people from outer space. Um, you know, I mean, whatever you come up with. That's not why you're in bondage. That is not why your nations are in debt. And why every citizen of na- uh, nations throughout the world are surety for that debt. And have to work without pay. Which is tribute. That that work you do without receiving payment for it, that payment goes to the gods of the world, the governments of the world. It goes there because of your covetousness and because of your sloth. That's what the Bible says. That That's how it will come about. The, your covetousness will make merchandise of you, make you a surety for debt, And curse your children with that debt. From generation to generation. You will be a part of the kingdom kingdom of Babylon. With no escape whatsoever. The church can't save you. Only thing can save you is the Holy Spirit of Christ. And that only comes if you repent. And seek the kingdom of God. Forgive. In hopes that you are forgiven. And then by the grace of God. You will receive salvation. In this world and the next. Because you will be drawn by your sacrifice. Your willingness to sacrifice. Not as a payment for a price. Because Christ paid the price. But your willingness to put on the character of Christ. Who came to serve and sacrifice. Is what will mysteriously and this is where we're going to take this, we're just using this document as some sort of a springboard, it will mysteriously bring you into the coverture of the kingdom of God, which is a realm that is in existence parallel to the realm in which you now see when you look out with your physical eyes. There's other realms besides what we call the kingdom of heaven. There's the kingdom of hell. And that's a parallel realm that's out there. And it beckons to you as well. It seduces you into its jurisdiction. Into its coverture. And it will make you rich, maybe. It will give you, you know, everything you think your heart desires. And the gods of that realm will grant your prayers. But they will be like punishments. But the God of heaven is a giver of life. 
the creator of life. So you have a choice, and this is your only choice. Which direction are you going? Towards the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness of God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, which are one? Or are you going to be drawn towards the ways of the the world of Satan, the adversary of Christ, and his ways? And we know that Christ came to serve and not be served. We know that Christ was willing to take the kingdom away from those who said they had it and give it to those who would bear fruit. But he was not going to exercise, he was not going to force you kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. He was not, he was going to operate like the Old Testament in charity. Although it doesn't use the word charity, it uses the word free will offering. The entire government of Israel was supported by free will offerings. There were no kings. Every man was king in his own house, but he gathered together in free assembly with others seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is what we offer you with the network. You can go to the network at preparingyou.com and his holy church and try to find other people to start to gather with. Are you looking just for saints? Don't look just for saints because if you find a congregation that is filled with saints, why would they let you in? Just find somebody to start practicing the ways of Christ and start practicing charity instead of force. Exercising forgiveness instead of self-righteousness. Try that for a change. That's repentance. And then you, you will move in another direction, in another way. So anyway, when I looked at this document, and I, I, we, we looked at it before, but I mean, it was just too painful to go through the whole thing, so I stopped. But I did do some shows on it, using it as a springboard. But anyway, now, uh, the people are still bringing it up. And, and there's evidently another document that's in more detail, and it's even worse than, than this one. I mean, right away, at every turn, I see, well, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. And, uh, and and so you 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 know, what do I do? Rewrite the free church report so that you can see where it's going wrong. Well, I tried to get some of the ministers to look at it and see if they could find out what is the crooks of this. And finally, I, last night I wrote and kind of hit some of the nail on the head. I hinted around with a few other stories so that they begin to see things in a spiritual light. And uh, some of them are seeing it, beginning to see it. Didn't really take the time to look it over. But why are the people who are bringing this document to me not seeing the error of it? I mean, what is it offering that isn't already in the Free Church Report? What is missing? Do we need another report? Do we need another document? Or we just need people to actually repent and start seeking the kingdom of God? Because the guy who wrote this went to one of our festivals and got to meet people, but he did not come into our congregation because he wants to use the church to do something else that the church was not designed to do. And what he's actually doing is creating the church of Cain. And he doesn't even see it. And unfortunately, other people reading this document don't see it either. Because, why? Because it feels just like being right, being wrong. 
It doesn't, being wrong doesn't feel bad. It feels good. It feels like being right. It's being willing to see that you're wrong that hurts. Because when you start to see that you're wrong, you have to shift. You have to change directions. And people don't want to do that. I am where I am today because I was willing to see that I am wrong. A lot of time. I didn't just think, therefore I am. I erred, therefore I am. But I want to be one with the I am of God. The creator, of giver of life. I don't want to be one with the taker of life, Satan. The controller of life. So look around and say, who wants to control you? And who loves you? Who loves you, baby? <laughs> What's that, Kojak? Who loves you? The world will exercise authority and take away from your neighbor and give you gifts, but he's not doing it out of love. The world's doing it out of greed. And you go along with it. See, once you, once you go in that direction, in that snare direction where you covet your neighbor's goods, then suddenly you can't see it's wrong anymore. You, you're, what you could see before you cannot see now. You are, you are blinded. Your sight is taken away. And so you're going to say, okay, free education. I want free education. I want a free fire department. I want a free police department to keep me safe so I can call 911 and it will come and protect me. I don't want to own a gun. You know, I mean, why would I want to own a gun? I just call the police. They got guns and they'll come and risk their life to protect me. I don't want to risk my life to protect me. You you won't even risk your life to protect you, much less protect your neighbor. You're so far from the kingdom, you don't even know how 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 uh, iniquitous that is. That you want other people to risk their life for you, but you will not risk your life for others. What a pig you've become. You see? So, when I go down and and I read his perspective, he has this perspective. A gold coin in the hand of a thief is still a gold coin. Now, what, what does that mean? He's quoting something here. Um... He actually has a reference. Uh, Dan Henry. He's quoting Dan Henry. He said that. I don't even know who Dan Henry is. I must need to, must be uneducated. But anyway, um, and I make this point over and over again. And we already made it earlier. We said it in a little bit different way. But I'll say it again to see if it can kind of sink in. There is no stolen coin. There, There is covetous and slothful practices by ourselves and our parents, which have made us merchandise and cursed our children and us. People don't seem to get it. They want to say, it's not my fault. Somebody else did this. You know, again, back to the Rothschilds, the Illuminati, I mean, whoever. Some conspirator. You know, the Federal Reserve Bank, all this. It's their fault. They did this to us. You know, you're, you know, you're just as whiny as Adam. You haven't changed. You haven't repented. I mean, Adam 
gets caught. He's eaten of the tree of knowledge. He's using this tree of knowledge as his source, trying to decide what is good and evil as if he is God incarnate. And when he's called out about this, he's hiding. He knows he's done wrong, but he's hiding from it. He doesn't want to see he's wrong. Because to admit that he's wrong hurts. He doesn't want to see it. And so when he's called out on this, he says, it's not my fault. The woman you gave me, gave me this fruit to eat. He blames it on God and the woman. And that's what you do when you say, somebody stole this, my rights from me. You don't say, oh my gosh, I have coveted my neighbor's goods. Oh my gosh, I've been slothful in the practices of charity. The practice of forgiveness. The practice of serving one another. You know, the things Jesus came to do. I've been slothful in that way. You don't go there. You, you, you don't start being charitable. You don't start gathering together and taking the time that it takes to keep track of, you know, other people and to see if they're okay and to check on them. You don't, you don't start being diligent in that. You blame it on some, somebody else stole my rights. What a hypocrite. And then you come in quoting all kinds of nice, truthful statements like a snake slithering through the grass. Listen to me. Listen to me. I will tell you the truth and lay some in the truth, a lie here and a lie there, until I get you mesmerized by my truth. You know, like Mowgli and Caw. You know, where he mesmerizes, or maybe it was the um, the other serpent that was in the treasure house, would hypnotize you and then bite you with his six-inch-long fangs. But if you repent and seek the kingdom of God, his poison will not harm you. These snakes will not, they will not seduce you. You will read this and say, oh my gosh, this guy is so far off, it is, is ridiculous. And you will just see it. Why don't you see it? You need prayer. You need fasting. Prayer is for others. You need admission you don't know. Why am I so gullible? Why am I so easily deceived? Because if you don't deal with that, even if I were to free you with some sort of magic wand, you'd go right back into bondage. And that's exactly what this guy is taking you to. Back into bondage. And you, you finally get to it. You know, this is his document. But the fact is, is people aren't seeing what's missing. And they're not asking the right questions. He will give you answers offline, so to speak, so that you don't really see what he's doing. You know, just like Satan. When Eve said, well, we were told we would surely die. Oh, you will not die. You will be like God. You will become an ecclesia court. And you will be able to throw off your bondage. 
Just give me the power to judge you. And make this statement of jurisdiction, which is eventually we get down to in his document. But you're so mesmerized by his back and forth and this little piece of truth. He, he throws out the sweet sounding savor of his plan. But his plan includes the fact that you have to subjugate yourself to his court system. Crazy. Where he can fine you. Take money away from you. Because you didn't do as he wanted. You know, like in copyrights, and we'll we'll talk about this. If you don't, the way the copyright law works, that if you write a book and you don't copyright it, somebody else can come along and take a copy of that book and go out and print it and sell it and copyright it. And then you can't print your own book anymore because you didn't copyright it. So he copyrighted it. Now, you can't even print up your own book without asking him permission. So you have to copyright it. But now, are you going to copyright it so that if somebody... We've had people take an entire chapter of the book Thy Kingdom Comes and put it in their own book and publish it and sell it in Target and in Amazon. And they, 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 they not only took the entire chapter, they took my typos too. <laughs> they copied and pasted the entire chapter. He says, well, I got stuff from a lot of different places. I didn't know where I got everything from. What are you talking about? That was an entire chapter. It wasn't like a, a sentence or a paragraph. I mean, footnotes, everything was in his book. It was about radical Muslims. <laughs> This is a clash of something. I forgot the name of the book, but anyway. Took an entire chapter on the Essenes, by the way, and put it in his book and sold it as if it was his own writing. And our books are copyrighted. Now, did we take him to court? No, we made him sign a document that said that he took this. And, uh, you know, personally, I think the guy actually worked for the CIA when he was traveling around the Middle East. Just looking at his career, his name was like Jonathan or something like that, a last name. But anyway, I've got that all documented somewhere. But but this guy copyrights his stuff. And if you make copies of it, you owe him 12, I think 12 silver dollars. And you are agreeing to pay it, supposedly. You can't make contracts up like that, but that's what he's saying. And that's that's the way he's so he's going to take take your money if you make a copy. I we will not be making copies and and distributing <laughs> stuff. Although we were, you know, I do have all these comments about it. I can quote from it, but I'll have to take these quotes out and uh, and show where it is and where you we're making reference to it in, on these shows so that. And why is that? So that you will begin to see where the kingdom really is. You know, and I write, this is why he he needs more explanation because he does not hear the basics and does not want to repent. He wants to blame others until one forgives and gives. There is no jubilee for them. 
until you do that, you should be under tribute. Because the slothful should be under tribute. So what is the solution? Where are we going to go? How are we going to get there? Well, we'll talk about that next on Keys of the Kingdom. have been listening to the keys of the kingdom with brother gregory of his holy church for more information on the educational ministry provided by his holy church and brother gregory including services counseling lectures books and other audio materials please write to his church at summer lake box 10 summer lake oregon 97640 You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're looking at this uh, church governance document that somebody put together. Uh, and I've seen this kind of thing before. Some, the, one of the people who brought this up also brought up people like uh, who's been around a long time, Johnny Liberty and Gregory Allen, and and you could I could go through a big long list, and I probably will touch on some of these people in our Guru section of preparing you, which we already have talked about a number of people that have these ideas, because uh, they're not talking necessarily about church documents. Some of them are. You know, Randy Lee and John Quaid and all these different people had ideas and, you know, they're legitimate individuals and souls and searching people, but where are they wrong? Now, there's probably a lot of places where they're right about things and they have, uh, but where are they wrong? Because uh, when you're crossing a minefield, you don't, you not only want to know where to step, you want to know where not to step. <laughs> because, it, where not to step may be more important than where to step. Because where not to step is the part that will kill you. So it's all a question of perspective. So anyway, the point is, uh, if we're, if we're gonna look at these documents and try to find out what's wrong with them, we need to do it in relationship to finding out about ourselves. We need to do it with a, a, an approach that is introspective of who we are 
And so you, you look at these different things. Now, I came across something else today. Somebody, or the other day, or somebody was talking about the eight ways to success. And they talk about passion and work and focus and persistence and then ideas and, and, uh, and and the idea has to be something that serves the people, something that's good, something that they want. And then then you need some sort of push or drive. So these uh, these different aspects of success are also the same aspects of failure. You need to be passionate about something, work in something. What what if you're going the wrong way? I've I've seen more than once where somebody was striving and working so hard to get something that was really a bad idea. <laughs> and he might even get to be a tremendous financial success, but lose his family, lose his self-respect, lose his dignity as an individual and as a human. And that certainly there were a lot of ideas involved in this, and there was a lot of pushing involved in this. And he may have even produced the service that people wanted. I mean, how many ministers are out there are making lots of money by tickling the people's ears? I mean, they had a passion. They work at it. They were focused. They were persistent. They had ideas. They served the people. They didn't strengthen the poor. They made them weaker. But they gave the people what they wanted. They tickled their ears. And they were driven and pushed to do this. But they were, this is all the wrong direction. It will lead to destruction. So they have successfully made it to hell. <laughs> See? I mean, it's a, eight ways of success. The question is, what way are you going? That's what Christianity was called, the way. It was a way. It was different than the ways of the world. And so people want to ch- still go the way of their own selfishness and pride and control and all this stuff. But they don't want the consequences of that. And it just doesn't work that way. So how does it work? How how do you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, you have to, you know, for one thing, you have to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. I mean, this, this goes with the territory. And in and, and his thing where he's talking about, you know, Jubilee, setting free, all the land goes back, every man to his family and every man to his possessions. Now, that that was kind of what happened at Pentecost to to some great degree. Pentecost was the second exodus. Everybody was back in the bondage of Egypt again. Herod had instituted programs, the Hasmoneans before them had changed certain policies of the Levites. Uh, you know, there was a 300-year history of moving into this bondage. Of course, you can go all the way back to even farther when they first wanted to have a king. When they wanted to have a king, they were rejecting God. And they pointed out he's going to take and take and take and take. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. And we just talked about you know, this new bill that was passed in the Senate that your daughters have to register for the draft. We talked about before, we have videos up on universal service and articles on universal service where your sons and daughters will wake up in the morning and somebody in the government will tell them what they're going to work on today, whether they're going to be military or, or civilian work projects. And, of course, anybody who has a passport 
can be just picked up off the street by the government at any time and put to work in civilian work projects and they have to work without complaint. They have no recourse. It's in the law. You don't know that yet, but that's kind of like girls. They said, well, it's okay if girls have to sign up for the draft. We haven't used the draft in years. But, of course, when they, you know, it's like jumping off a 50-story building. You know, don't worry about anything. There's not going to be a problem until you get to the sidewalk. And that's a long ways down. (laughs) But you're headed that way. That's the direction you're going once you take the leap. Why not take the leap towards the kingdom of God with repentance and start thinking another way? This guy doesn't want to do this. He wants to create this other document and come to our gatherings and gather people to come and join him so that they can do what? That we're not already doing. That he doesn't want to join us. He wants to do his own thing. But what is what is the wind of his doctrine? Where Where is he taking us? And, and why can't people see it so obviously? I mean, one fellow who was there when he was first there, they they actually referred to him. Yeah, I saw him slithering about. Because when they looked at him, looked at his movements, they saw somebody who was snaking his way around. They sensed that. Now, they couldn't explain it in technical terms like I doing with you but they sensed it they felt it they felt I don't want to have anything to do with this because they're not dealing in technicalities but they're still in dealing in that spiritual realm where they sense the spiritual reality of where this guy is coming from and we have both and some some talents are in both And I see in our documents going back and forth, somebody's put a footnote. I won't read it now. I'll read it later and we'll talk about it after the break. But right now, let's look at... uh, He's he's trying to use the church as coverture. He actually uses the word coverture. Church's coverture. You may be uh, removed from Bodsman's status. He's talking about if you're a taxpayer to an entity that is foreign to the kingdom, then through the church coverture, you may be removed from bondsman status. It's completely goofy. Where where do you get your coverture in the kingdom of God? If you seek the kingdom of God, who's your comforter? Who's your protector? Is it the church? If we give you freedom, then you're our servant. (laughs) Right? I mean, we, if we bestow freedom on you, if we give you coverture, you're now our servant. But we're not like the governments of the other nations. We don't exercise authority over you. Can we bind and loose? Well, actually, Peter can bind and loose. What is Peter? What was the Peter? Thou art Peter, it says. Why is he saying this to Simon? This is really, really a basic thing. And if 
if people fall into the usual trap <laughs> or the usual suspect, they're not going to see it. Blessed are you, Simon, for thou art, this is, this characteristic of you that I see in you, Simon, is a Peter, a small rock. It is a rock. And it's upon that rock I will build my church. Not on Simon, but on that rock. What was the rock that Simon manifested? He knew who Jesus was, not by flesh and blood, not by the knowledge of men, but because the Spirit of God revealed it to him in his heart and in his mind. It could reveal it to him in his heart and his mind because he said, I don't get it. And then he could receive it. As long as you've got it figured out, God ain't going to tell you anything different. you got to admit you can't figure it out. you got to take your hand out of the tree of knowledge. Take your head out of the tree of knowledge. And admit you can't figure it out on your own. You cannot decide good and evil on your own. You have to really do this. You can't fake it. You can't just say words and do it. You have to really do it. And then the comforter is your coverture. When Ananias came and said he wanted to be a minister, which is actually what he was doing, he wanted to become a part of the ministerial aspect of the church. He didn't wasn't just joining a congregation. Because all the big guys in the system were getting the baptism of Jesus Christ. You remember, I said that was the second Exodus, Pentecost. Well, they were all in this system of Corbin that had become... You know, their bondage, their snare, their trap. Because it, Corbin is, is a sacrifice for your welfare, but you sign up for the Corbin of the Pharisees, the Corbin of Herod, and you have to pay in by statutory requirements, and they will take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society, the old age, you know, pension of parents, the blind who can't work. They'll take care of it with the funds that you're pouring into the treasury of the temple. Which Jesus says, don't put it in the treasury of the temple. Because thieves and robbers can break in. Moths can eat it up. And they'll use it all up and it won't be there. And it'll be bankrupt. You know, kind of like you in Social Security. Social Security is the system of Corbin. And that's what you've done. Is you, you said, I'm not going to live by faith, hope, and charity. I want entitlements. And because you want entitlements, you want to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Get free education, free health care, you know, free fire departments, all these things for free. By forcing your neighbor to pay in, you think it's going to force the rich to pay in more. Anyway, that's your imagination. Because you don't understand how these things work. But because you're greedy for gain. Because you are wanton. Because you're licentious. You want to be free from your responsibilities. But you want all the benefits. Even at the expense of your neighbor. Because you don't love your neighbor as yourself. You just fake it in church. Because of all that. 
you're brought into bondage. You're made surety for debt because your government is borrowing money against the future, against the future of your children to provide you with benefits today. You're not a Sabbath keeper. You want your benefits today and you'll work the next six days or six generations to pay it off. Because you're not a Sabbath keeper. Oh, you keep Saturdays. You take a rest on Saturdays, but you're not a Sabbath keeper. Because you don't work first and then earn your rest. You want your rest now. Rest from your responsibilities now so that you can get your benefits. And you don't care the fact that because the government is borrowing money to provide you with these benefits that your children are going to have to work for generations to come. You get it? Do you see? Because you're covetous. You're slothful. You're not coming in the name of Christ. You don't go to church to give. You don't go to church to love one another, to serve one another. You go to church to get a good feeling. And you pay those ear ticklers lots of money to get it. The Joe Olsteins, to, you know, the Billy Grahams, living in million dollar homes. I mean, there's a whole list of names. I don't want to just pick on those two, but uh, a whole list of names. Of guys who are making millions and millions of dollars tickling your ears. Telling you that all you have to do is think a thought and you're saved. And it's all good. And you can go to the benefactors who exercise authority. You can covet your neighbor's goods. You can get free health care and welfare and become a total socialist. And you're still saved. Because they're not going to tell you that you're actually a worker of iniquity. And Jesus, when he comes, he's going to say... Get ye from me. And when you die and you go meet him, he says, why are you coming to me? You didn't do anything the way I said to do it. You didn't live by faith, hope, and charity. You lived by force, fear, and violence. You coveted your neighbor's goods. You took away from your neighbor through the agency of the governments you created. You think it's going to work to say, it's not my fault, it's the Illuminati. (laughs) That's not going to work. It is your fault. And it is this guy's fault. Because he didn't gather. He didn't gather with us. He wants to gather with other people. And then you won't believe what he wants to do. And maybe we'll get to that by the fourth or fifth show. (laughs) So anyway, he's thinking that the church is going to be this coverture that sets you free. No. You're freed by grace. By the Holy Spirit. If you don't seek the kingdom spiritually within you. You're not going to find freedom without. And there's absolutely no reason to free somebody who hasn't really repented. And what does repentance look like? It looks like those who bear the fruits of repentance and are actually trying to live by faith, hope, and charity. Where does he talk about that? He's talking about getting all your stuff back. Because the, the, you, you go and you become a member of the church, but it, it gets even worse than that. For one, let's go back to ministers. Ministers can come out of the system now. They could back then. They have to waive all their rights within the system. They can't have any rights to all those benefits that are a snare to you. They have to give those up and live actually by faith, hope, and charity. And we go through this in the Free Church Report and detail it out if you read the footnotes. Now, if you're just going to approach it intellectually, you're going to have some trouble and confusion. And and that's why it was written the way it is. 
is so that you can tell who's getting it and who's not. Because the guys who are getting it ain't going to write this stuff. But the only reason the ministers can come out of the system of debt, like the one created in the world today, is because they give up everything as Christ required. If you want to be one of my disciples, a student, you have to give up all you own. This guy is looking for the stuff and the freedom and not the sacrifice and the service. And this is a dead giveaway. If you're not looking, coming together to sacrifice and serve, you're not coming in the name of Christ. Now, the hard times that are coming, you guys are all going to get a crash course and what it means to be like Christ. Or you're going to die. But anyway. Uh, now he also talks about. Uh, he, he makes a statement here. That uh, somebody's highlighted. While ministry was an obligation of all. Certain persons were ministers. In special ways. But lines of authority were not yet developed. The one thing clear in the New Testament is that all followers of Christ were to be ministers according to the teachings and example of Christ. Now that's from Harper Collins Bible Dictionary. The, ni- the, the lines of authority, what is he talking about? We were told not to exercise authority one over the other. The line of authority is when somebody gives a minister something as a free will offering, now he has authority over that thing. Nothing else does he have authority over. That's the line of authority. There's no other authority. It's, we're not like the governments of the Gentiles. The line of the authority was simple. Christ appointed the apostles. The apostles appointed others. The only thing you have authority over is yourself, your choices, and what is freely given you. Now, there's lots of different words for appointment. Where, How does the church organize itself? By two or more witnesses, you establish all things. So, it isn't really that the apostles anoint somebody, although they will, but that is just simply giving evidence that the apostle believes that this person is anointed of the Holy Spirit. And so then he goes through a ritual where he does that, you know, minister, whatever, and existing, to say, this guy, I believe, has that anointing. In my own life, I've seen this take place. And and some of the people who saw that, to give that anointing, had no real logical reason to see that that anointing. The same as someone said, I saw a snake slithering about, looking who he could seduce away. Somebody else who is walking in the Holy Spirit comes along and I says, I see a minister of Christ growing in this small boy. But ultimately, it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that doesn't come with bands and trumpets and parchment. But, why doesn't it? Because you have to see it and the only way you will see it is an anointing of the Holy Spirit in you. You have to stop living by the tree of knowledge and start 
following the Holy Spirit. In order to get there, you have to fast and pray. Now, fasting, yeah, if you're overweight and all that stuff, there's one fasting. That's one form of fasting. If you're self-indulgent in certain practices that you know are immoral, there's another thing to fast from. If if you're addicted to music, if you're addicted to cigarettes or marijuana or any of these other things, then you may have to fast from that. Whatever your addiction is, that's what you probably need to fast from. And why does that fasting? Because for one thing, it's sacrifice. And sacrifice draws you near God. And the other reason why you fast from those particular things, you can't do like... Huck Finn does, where he fasts from, um, uh, wasn't pomegranates, was, uh, I forgot the name of the fruit he was fasting from. Uh, he wasn't going to steal, uh, uh, persimmons. He says, because they, they felt bad about all the stealing he was doing when they were going down the river, but so they decided not to steal persimmons. But they didn't really like persimmons anyway. So you have to fast from something you like. You can't fast from something you don't like. That doesn't count. So, but that sacrifice is important. And if, you, if you've been overindulging in anything from food to cigarettes to music to what have you, then that's, that's a good place to start. And you know what that is. But that alone is not going to get... That's going to draw you near. You still have to make the choice to listen to the Holy Spirit and follow the Holy Spirit. The only thing you have authority over is yourself. Your choices and what is freely given you as a minister. A free society is a self-disciplined society. It doesn't have... you, You don't need all the courts this guy is trying to create. And we'll explain how the courts of Israel worked eventually. What part of free will offering, free assembly, perfect law of liberty does this fellow not understand? Well, just about everything about it. I mean, he talks about we have no exercise in authority. And then he goes out and he tries to obtain an exercise in authority by getting people to sign an agreement. And then he he talks about what is an order. Scripture speaks of the order of Melchizedek. Well, the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek was Shem. Shem was um, uh, the highest son of Noah. He was the inheritor of the earth. Uh, He was still alive at that time uh, of Abraham. And he blessed Abraham. So, he passed on what he had to Abraham. What he actually had. Not what he had ex officio, but what he actually had. You can't do this if you're ex officio. You cannot pass your office on to somebody else. And even even if you were in a regular order, you really can't pass it on. Because it is dependent upon other people, two or more witnesses, not just the guy. He may name his successor, but others will have to bear witness by following what he says. Because it's by the witnesses that we are established. We don't, we don't have the power to anoint you. The Holy Spirit anoints you and we bear witness to that. 
in order is a voluntary brotherhood with God as the Father. It's very important you understand the apostles were a religious order. Twelve apostles. They were a religious order. And Christ was the head. And when Christ left, then James was the head. Not Peter. James was the head. But James was ahead because the Peter was in James. What was the Peter again? Knowing not by the knowledge of men, by flesh and blood, but by the Holy Spirit. So, the order is not only a brotherhood with Christ, God is the Father, and Christ is their brother in, in that order. It is also an altar of stone because each of the ministers of an order is a lively stone. That's why they talk about a lively stone. And and the truth is the stone altars of Abraham and the stone altars of Moses were living men as well. And they had physical representation of stones that fit together. Each man put his stone together in the altar and the altar was a place where we knew because temples were locations where they people who brought their offering, when it passed through that altar, or over that altar, or around the edge of that altar, it was given up entirely. And they knew it. This was a place to mark that giving. And now that minister was in control of it. Did he do a good job with it? If he did, you give him more. If he don't, don't give him more. Now the power is in the hands of the people. A daily basis. That's a free government. What you got ain't. What this guy's offering ain't. And I'll show you why when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back. Uh, so, what is the these orders? Like I said, the apostles were a religious order, and that's the way the uh, church was organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So, every ten ordained minister who was meeting the qualification of Christ was gathered together in a small congregation of ten or twelve men, usually ten men, minister, and then uh, a technically an overseer from another order and this is the way israel had done it for a thousand years or and some where they organized in the tens hundreds and thousands tens fifties hundreds and thousands so it was just a question of gathering these small groups of ten together in orderly groups why fifties instead of tens hundreds and thousands is because of their number and how they're spread out and the difficulty of communicating at longer distances. Uh, you could break it at 50 and then go on up from there. But the point is, is that you, 10 families picked a minister, 10 ministers picked another minister, and you made this pattern on up through until you got to the minister of minister of ministers of ministers, which was the high priest. That's how they got to be the high priest. And now, what were they doing? And this is very under, important. And this is what we cover in Thy Kingdom Come and the Free Church Report. We show you how these courts worked and what they actually... They were not fining people 12 silver dollars if you did this or that or the other thing. 
they were trying to come basically at at grassroots level to a system of ordire would create a, a jury that would try fact and law. You used to do that in America. Your juries decided fact and law. Today, your juries are asked to raise their right hand. They raise their right hand and decide the case based on the laws already decided by the statutes. Try not raising your right hand. There's no statutory requirement to take that oath in the states that I've been in. But when they, they tell you to raise your right hand and say, I solemnly swear to decide this case according to the laws of the state of blah, blah, blah. You say, well, sorry, I can't take that oath. I want to have my right of jury nullification. I want to decide fact and law, as it says in most of the constitutions of the states of the United States. See how long you stay on that jury. <laughs> because you're in an administrative court, and they want everybody conceding to that. They will go at great lengths. I mean, unfortunately, there's not enough people who have any even a clue of what's going on in the jury or jury box or in courts. They don't even understand this stuff. Why don't they understand it? Because they're too busy coveting their neighbor's goods to the agency of governments that exercise authority one over the other. They're too busy not being the church established by Jesus Christ. They're too busy tickling each other's ears and patting each other's bank accounts uh, to actually do what Jesus said to do which was to love one another. They're not going to do that. Somebody was talking to me just the other day about their church. Oh, our church. Oh, we actually, somebody had to go get an operation for their kid and, you know, one of these $100,000 operations and everything. And he says, the church paid for their gas to go up to the hospital. So we we have charity in our church. You know, and we have a mission in the Philippines and they even named the mission after our town because we've supported them so much. You know, we do these good things, you know. Token charity. You know what token charity will get you? Token salvation. <laughs> That's right. Token charity will get you token salvation. Now, whatever charity we can get out of you, that's great. That's a step in the right direction. But, unfortunately, it's a little baby step in the right direction. And you got all these other big steps in the wrong direction for the rest of the week. Where you, you, you paid for somebody's gas so that they could go get an operation that they may not have even needed to get. Did you, I mean, Jesus did, Jesus said that everybody should donate money so this person can go get an operation. No, he, he laid hands on them and healed them. He even told you that that's what you're supposed to do in your churches. You don't, you can't do those in your churches. You want to know why? Because the emotional spirit is there, but the Holy Spirit is not. The spirit of emotion, the spirit of self-righteousness is there in your churches, but the spirit of Christ is not there. The Holy Spirit of healing and miracles, it's not there. Now, you can create artificial miracles with enough emotion. And we've explained how that works, too. But you're not following Christ. If you're in a system that most of the charity is taken care of by men who exercise authority, which is not charity, then you're not following Christ. You have need of repentance and to turn around and seek the other direction. 
And this guy doesn't, he hardly even talks about it, barely makes reference to. And of course, this is the way snakes work. You know, they'll say, oh, yeah, don't forget service and sacrifice and giving and all this stuff. But first, we got to get our stuff back. That's not what Christ said. That's not what John the Baptist says. John the Baptist doesn't say, get your stuff back and then gather together and share a little bit of it so that you feel good about it. <laughs> no, he said, if your neighbor doesn't have a coat, share with him. He didn't say anything about getting your stuff back. And you're certainly not going to get it back by pretending to be the church. The church does not operate like other governments. And this is what guys are trying to do, create ecclesiastical courts like other governments. The ecclesiastical courts of Israel were not like other governments. You were tried at the local basis uh, where the jury decided fact and law if you agreed to the jury through a system of ordire. If you said, I do not agree to this jury, if you could sit down and say, I want non-binding arbitration, you could sit down and say, we both agree to binding arbitration, and then it becomes binding at that time in that trial because you've agreed to it. You don't sit back at one time and sign a statement of jurisdiction giving the church the right to try you. If you do that, you will see men seeking power flocking to the ministry of the church. I mean, spiritually, they will just be drawn to those offices because they want to exercise authority. It's a pecking order thing. You know, the other day I was talking to somebody across the road and the rams were in a nearby pen and they started, for some reason, I don't know, the cool weather or what, they started butting heads and you'd hear this loud crash as they step back and run at each other and bang their heads together. And they said, oh, what are they doing? You know, and they look over there and they see smack, head come together. And they said, why are they doing that? And I just looked at her and I said, it's a guy thing. <laughs> They're determining pecking order. And whoever wins is going to get to breed the other sheep first. Which is why there's only been a couple of black-faced sheep. Because there was a black-faced and a white-faced ram butting heads. And the black face was losing still. <laughs> so, so there was only two black-faced sheep last year, I think. Um because he doesn't get to breed first. And that's what they're determining. Pecking order. In the kingdom of God, we don't, we're not that kind of government. We, we have an order of service. He who serves the most becomes greater. And not greater in power, but greater in asking him to serve more. <laughs> and as long as we're going to have few workers, there's, the more I work, the more I have to work. <laughs> Because you guys aren't doing the job. I mean, there are some are. But there's a lot of guys out there going around creating work. Instead of doing work. You come across these documents that somebody wants, you know, and they come slithering in and want everybody to come follow them. They don't want to give. I mean, how much did that guy give when he came to the, the retreat? Did he join in a congregation and start sacrificing regularly because he cared about other people? No, he went off and he's creating his own little, you know, everybody come join me. 
And then you'll see what he's going to do if you, we get to the end of this. It's astounding. That yet once you see where he's going, somebody should have said, Hey, we don't want to go there. Uh, he talks about fixed succession and offer bearers, you know, and, and talking about his order of Melchizedek. It's not a fixed uh, succession of office bearers. If that were true, then Melchizedek's son, Shem's son, would have become the office bearer. But it didn't. It passed a different direction. The same way with uh, Joseph. Was it going to, uh, to, to I, you know, uh, Jacob? Was Jacob's son Joseph the firstborn? No. It's going to him instead of to the others. Why is that? This is not fixed. It's not guaranteed. And besides, how do you prove this? Because it's a totally voluntary society. It depends on who's taking the next place. And that depends on who's bearing witness. This is a free society. And the courts, the courts of Israel... When you tried at that local level, like we were just talking, through a system of ordire, if you consented to the trial, if you don't consent to the trial, there's recourse there too. But if you do consent to the trial, then the trial is there. And if you don't think you got a fair trial, you can appeal upwards to the next level of this servant of servants of servants. Not to be tried, but to have your trial tried. In other words, it's a court of appeals. Now, those court of appeals could take bribes and say, oh yeah, this rich guy, you found him guilty, we find him innocent, so he's now innocent as a court of record because we find a mistrial. And if we took bribes, you could do that. And then you would have a recourse. You could say, if you're going to elect that minister to be a minister, uh... Because he, he he had a corrupt verdict here. Because we know this guy was guilty. See, it depends on righteousness ingrained in the hearts and minds of the people. That depends on repentance. And those people daily seeking righteousness in everything they do. So if they're going to contribute to a minister and that minister is going to contribute to the next minister... And you see that next minister up taking bribes. <coughs> you tell your minister, you still support that guy, and and he if he withdraws his witnesses, he says, "No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give to that guy. I'm going to pick a different minister for me." Because I I agree. I think that, that he was taking bribes, but people didn't do that. Instead, they said, "We want a king, so the king could come and say." You're out, you're out, you're out from the top down. Now, you could still elect from the bottom up, but then the king could come and say, well, I don't like that election. I'm I'm going to boot him. I'm going to put my buddy in that office. That This guy was always asking for a flow chart. That's the flow. Ten men pick a minister. That minister gets together with Nine other ministers like himself, they pick a minister. Tens, hundreds, a thousand. So that, what power does he have? He only has the power that you give him over things, not over yourself. He doesn't even have the power to judge you. 
But he could have a power to, as an appeals court, to say, I think this was a bad judgment. And then you have a recourse against him. Because the treasury of the kingdom is in your pocket. Somebody did send us a donation once and they said, we'd like to see this accumulate so that we know that, you know, that there's this treasury, this, this fund. No, it doesn't work that way. If, if you see it accumulating, you're going to see an aneurysm shortly. <laughs> the treasury of the kingdom of heaven is in the pockets of every man. What is given is, should be flowed through and given out and used up for the benefits of others. And that, so that in order for that to work, the giving must be regular and wisely given. In your body, there is so much blood. If you start running, suddenly some capillaries close down and take less blood and other capillaries expand and receive more blood. Because there's more muscle action going, it needs more oxygen, it needs to carry away more lactic acid, and so the blood flow increases. That's the way a body works. If you're a part of that whole spiritual body, then the purse strings are in your pocket. You see a need, you give. If you learn to trust your minister and he says, I see a need over here, then you give. Because you trust his word. If you find out you can't trust him anymore, you pick another minister. That's a government of the people, for the people, by the people. And the Bible was a book written for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, according to the introduction to the Wycliffe Bible. And then later on, you see Abraham saying, you know, Abraham Lincoln saying, that the United States government is a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. The problem with that is that most of the people were against the Constitution when it was cre- when it was written and created. It was never put to a popular vote. And it had it been put to a popular vote, it would have been voted down. So the Constitution is not the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. But the the way in which America operated... Through faith, hope, and charity, most of the needs of the society, most of the education of society was all done with free will offerings in America. And that's not that way anymore. Why? Because you've been going another way. It's time to repent, turn around, go the other way, start homeschooling, start gathering together in congregations, helping one another out in your businesses, helping one another out with your health concerns. Start helping one another out with your security concerns. Be there for one another. My son was house-sitting for somebody because they were going to be gone. So he was there. There you go. You got an armed guard working in the house. Living in the house. Staying in the house. Protecting the house. You didn't, you didn't call the police. You called your neighbor. That's the way it works. You don't do that anymore. Half of the places in the United States, they don't even know who their neighbor is. You need to start gathering together with people of social virtue and putting those people together and depending upon those people through a free assembly of those people. Which takes sacrifice, takes forgiveness takes diligence, takes perseverance. And when you do this unselfishly, 
It draws you towards the kingdom. It draws you towards the Spirit and your eyes will be open. If you don't, you will, you will remain blind. Was Israel in Egypt free to choose to leave Egypt? No, they were not free to leave. If you are in debt, are you free to cancel the debt? No. If your parents are in debt and you inherit that debt, are you free to cancel that debt and make it go away while still taking the benefits of that debt? No. Why did Moses say, pay your tally of bricks? And Jesus say, pay Caesar. What is Caesar's? And be friends with the unrighteous mammon. But repent and seek the kingdom of God. Have you taken benefits? Who hasn't? It's rare to find somebody who's never attended public school. Who hasn't taken an oath somewhere that binds them. You can't just undo this by this this using the church as your coverture. The church is not your coverture. Holy Spirit is your coverture. How do you draw the Holy Spirit to you and you do the Holy Spirit? Sacrifice and service. Love one another. Trust in the ways of Christ. The ways of Christ are taking care of one another in pure religion. In order to do that, you have to not forsake the gathering together. You have to come together in congregations, not in a you know real cozy congregation where we all get to hug each other and feel good about each other and talk about this and somebody makes you know really good cooking and we all eat and we all have this kind of emotional fellowship. No, it's about sacrifice. It's about service. Not just for those that love you, but even those who are far away. Casting your bread upon the waters of the world. Not just in congregations and groups of congregations, but even in the sacrifice of the red heifer out there as foreign aid to others. People say, oh, I don't, I, I've got so much work to do, I can't, I can't find the time to do it, and, and I've got all these bills to pay, and, and, you know, I, I'm working this extra job and everything. Where's your heart? You can find a way. You can discipline yourself. Almost everybody could live on a little bit less. But people aren't even good at living on what they got. Because you have to start thinking that everything you got ain't yours. Some of what you got belongs to God. Now that, you have to decide where you want to give it. I'm not telling you to send it to me. But you have to give it in a way that strengthens the poor. Because you have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. That's just the way it works. You're not going to do that. It's not going to work for you. Those benefits are a snare. That welfare has made you merchandise. Your nation is in debt. Uh, you, you're, you've cursed your children and, and you can't just get out of it with a wave of a piece of paper. You have to learn to comprehend the real scope and magnitude 
uh, of following the ways of righteousness. And then trust and hope that God will spare you and protect you. In his document, he talks about society. We've done a lot of shows on society. He talks about government and religion. Well, Social Security is religion. That's how you fulfill your duty to God and your fellow man. Unfortunately, the God lives in the White House or whatever you know country you're in. I don't want to pick on the United States, uh, but I don't know what they call the house where the presidents and prime ministers live, <laughs> parliaments and all those houses. But those are the fathers of the earth that you look to for your benefits. You should be looking to the church. And the church should be operating by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. In order to do that, people have to gather together and give to the minister that is actually caring about others. And actually using those funds for the purposes of others. And not just build a bigger building or a better sound system or a big screen TV so that you can feel real good emotionally when you go to the church because your feelings of emotion is not the Holy Spirit. If it was, when you got real emotion, people would be cured and stay cured. But that isn't what's happening. You're not following the ways of Christ. Eventually, this guy gets down to the point where he wants you to sign the statement of jurisdiction where you the church becomes this court who exercises authority. And I show you, this is not the way the church operates at all. It never was. And the and he talks about an ecclesia coming first and then appointing orders. Completely the reverse of what we see Jesus doing. The first thing he did was appoint the order. He said, you know, I appoint unto you a kingdom. It's the order that holds the kingdom. They are joint heirs with all the other orders who are actually conforming to Christ and doing... Can you imagine if everybody who said that they were a Christian were actually taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity? We would have never gone down the roads that we've gone down in the last century. But the fact is the church has abandoned the ways of Christ because of its own vanity that it thinks it's already been saved because it thought a thought. It saved itself with its own thinking. Its thinking is the tree of knowledge repent (laughs) and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.